Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place, which is called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. The chief priests of the Jews then said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier. But his tunic was without seam, woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him vinegar and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A bowl full of vinegar stood there, so they put a sponge full of vinegar on hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. 
And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was a son of God. The second reading is from the, 20th, uh, the 26th chapter of Matthew. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. What the religious leaders of that day did to Jesus in killing him is an argument for term limits. You understand term limits. You can only serve so long and then you're out. Well, the religious leaders of that day their families held those positions for several generations. And their primary goal was to keep the power. And they would do anything to keep the power. We've seen during these Lenten times how they came after Jesus one after another, playing, as I said, stump the carpenter, to trip him up, to show that he was phony, and that they could not succeed at that. But the Gospel according to St. Mark tells us in chapter 3, early in the ministry of Jesus, that the Pharisees and the Herodians got together after Jesus had, had healed somebody on the Sabbath. He had worked on the Sabbath, and they decided to kill him. What he did was too much. Because he worked on the Sabbath, he healed on the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He associated with tax collectors and sinners. Who did that? He made the Samaritans the hero of some of his story, the hated Samaritans. He brushed aside the 613 commandments that we talked about last week, and he boiled them down to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. As he preached sometimes, he would say, You have heard that it was said of men of old, but I say to you. That is to say, he contradicted what their holy book said, and he introduced a new teaching. And of course, uh, he humiliated them all. And so they knew that they had to get rid of him and kill him. You have to wonder how religious people could do that. And it was not the religion. It was their practice of it. From my point of view, the Jews of that day 
had the clearest understanding of God and man's relationship to God. Someone has written, How odd of God to choose the Jews. And yes, it was odd of God to choose the Jews. Just as it was odd of God to have his son born in the stable. God can do what he wants to do. But through the Jews, we got the clearest picture of how the creator of the universe wants, wants to relate to people. He wants to love people. It wasn't the religion, it was, it was the practice of it. Because the, the religious leaders had turned this religion into something that was dry and arid and sterile. It was just a bunch of rules and regulations that you had to follow. It wasn't a lot of fun. It was hollow. And they had just wanted to, pro, to, 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 to keep their position. And so they decided they had to get rid of him. They would kill the shepherd and the flock would disappear. They would cut off his voice and it would be heard no more. But these, these religious people, they needed a reason. They needed to justify the murder they were intent on doing. They had to justify it to themselves and they had to justify it to the crowd because how can, how can religious leaders commit murder and still be true to their religion. So they needed a way to justify what they were going to do to Jesus. And they found that justification in the words of Caiaphas, the high priest. I remember last Sunday, we talked about the resurrections, the three people that Jesus raised from the dead. Do you remember who they were? son of the widow of Nain, and the Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus. And while we talked last Sunday about the disappointments that Jesus had, especially being scolded by Mary and Martha, the resurrection of, of Lazarus was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And after the reading that we read last Sunday, it says this, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. People were convinced that Jesus was somebody special because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And then it says this. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council. And they said, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. Now that's nonsense. If they all believed in him and followed his teachings, it would be very simple to govern them. After all, he taught, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He taught, be good citizens under this occupation and render to God the things that are God's. So what they said was pure nonsense. But it scared them. The threat of the Romans coming. 
and destroying their temple and their holy city. Of course, it did take place 40 years later. And then this. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Do you not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed? I like the old translation better. The old translation says this. Do you not know that it is expedient? It is expedient for one man to die for the people rather than to have the whole nation destroyed. For something to be expedient means that you can do something evil to bring about something good. It's the easy way to do things. Expedient means the end justifies the means. That's as long as you get there. It doesn't matter how you get there. And if you want to save the the city and you want to save the temple, then killing this one guy, it's okay. It is expedient to kill one man to save the nation. That makes sense to you? It made sense to them. It's the way they justified the killing of Jesus. They're going to kill him, and they're going to save the nation. Decisions like that are made a lot. Decisions of expediency. So someone at your company comes to you, the boss comes to you and says, I'd like you to do this. I know it makes you uncomfortable. And I know it's a little shady. But I need you to do this. I just like you to do this. It's for the good of the company. We're going to keep all these jobs. See somebody smiling as if they've heard that before. We're going to keep all these jobs. Just It's the best thing to do. It's the expedient thing to do, and you'll keep your job. And you might get a raise. It's the expedient thing to do. Lots of temptations there. One of the great challenges that confronts our nation, the great moral challenges, is a question of expediency. And that's the challenge of abortion. The country is deeply divided about about abortion. Most abortions are performed on women who are in their 20s. 83% of the women who have abortions are not married. And what happens when a person comes in a family way, the question is, how do you handle this? I'm not one to minimize the decision. It's a terrible, terrible decision. But the expedient decision is to terminate the pregnancy. For many years, I I believed that. It's the expedient, it's the easy way to solve a problem. And then one Christmas season, as I was going through the readings for Christmas... I heard the story of the meeting of Mary and Elizabeth. 
Elizabeth pregnant about six months with John the Baptist. And Mary freshly present with, pregnant with Jesus. And as they came into the presence of one another, the babe in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. And I said to myself, there's a life there. And I changed my mind on abortion. The problem, of course, is not abortion. The problem is unwanted pregnancy. Abortion is the solving of that problem by an expedient means. And uh, it's a hard problem. The expedient thing, not always the best thing. The problem with our society is that it glamorizes, it glorifies free sex. And then when someone comes up in a family way, you have to deal with it. It's a terrible, terrible decision to make. But it's made when there's an abortion on the basis of expediency. It's hard. And so the, and the, the religious leaders decided that it was expedient to kill Jesus. So what they needed was a hitman. And they found the perfect hitman in Pontius Pilate. So they brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate. And they accused Jesus of treason. Not of of, of religious wrongs, but of civil wrongs. And so there was, uh, Jesus was brought to Pontius Pilate, and Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate said, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus said, my kingdom, yes, he's a king. My kingdom is not from this world. If my followers were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to you. But my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate asked him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who believes, who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? And then Pilate took him and had him beaten, had him flogged. And when he was all bloodied up, he was brought back to Pilate. And Pilate figured out that there was nothing wrong with Jesus, that he was not guilty of anything. So once he flogged him, he was going to let him know. And and Pilate said to him, do you not know that I have power to release you? and power to crucify you. Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. 
And nobody wanted to get on the wrong side of Caesar. So for Pilate, it became expedient to have Jesus killed. And so they did. They arranged for his death. They were going to kill the shepherd. And the sheep would scatter. Yes, they scattered. They scattered all over the known world. Proclaiming the risen Christ. They were going to still his voice. Yes, they were going to still his voice. And to this day, millions and millions of people are saying exactly what Jesus did. And telling Jesus' story. What unintended consequences of an evil, evil deed. But the religious leaders who condemned Jesus didn't have to do that. God didn't make them do it. All these decisions were made in freedom. They had the chance to say no. But they didn't say no. They were made in freedom. But the decisions were also predictable. Because above all, they wanted to maintain their position and they would get it, they would keep it any way that they could. It was expedient to kill him. And so we get those kinds of decisions today. When the boss says, I'd like you to do something, I know you don't want to, but it's for the good of the company and you can keep your job. And what do you do then? That's a tough question, isn't it? I think you don't do the expedient thing. I think a person maintains his or her integrity and does what's right and takes the consequences sure that those who stand up that way will be cared for by God. We don't take the expedient way. So I conclude with the story. It's a story about a young man who got a a job working for a a high-powered executive. He was in the executive's office close to the boss. And one day the phone rang and the young man picked up the phone and the guy on the other end said, I'd like to talk to your boss. So he said, boss, this call is for you. And the boss said, tell him I'm not here and I'm calling back later. So the young man said, he's right here and he'd like to talk to you. (laughs) And gave the phone to the boss. Well, what could the boss do? So he took the call. But when he was done, he was furious. He, Why did you do that? I told you to tell him I'm not here and I call him back later. Do you want to keep your job? And the young man said, boss, if I can lie for you, I can also lie to you. And from that day on, he was the most respected and trusted 
employee in the company because he didn't do what was expedient. He did what was right. Acting in in an expedient way is for the desperate. Acting according to what's right is for Christians. Amen.